Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two pawns. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, I named trading firms who were very involved. Um, Alec.eth is the ultimate puzzle. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So uh, quick intros. We've got some special guests with us here today. But first, we've got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Next up, we've got Robert, the crypto connoisseur and captain of Compound. Joining us today, we have Rune Christensen, chief mischief maker at MKR. And uh, joining him and his debating slash sparring partner, we've got Hasu, the gourmand of governance. And finally, there's myself, Hasib. I'm head hype man at Dragonfly. Um, so the, the three of us, the non-guests, are early-stage investors in crypto. But I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. So today we're going to be doing a little bit of a different structure or kind of a different vibe, let's say, than, than the way we usually do these shows. So generally speaking, we kind of just riff on what's going on in the news and kind of share with you the things happening during the day. But we've been really fascinated by all the drama going on with MakerDAO. And we thought, what better way to dive into what's going on in MakerDAO land than to bring on two of the loudest voices and two of the bitterest enemies in on-chain governance, Rune Christensen and Hasu. So let me, let me start, before we kind of get into the meat of things, let me start by giving some background, because I think a lot of people are maybe glancingly familiar with you guys, but don't have the full story or even the picture of what's happening in MakerLand. So let me start with Rune. So Rune is the co-founder of MakerDAO. He was formerly the CEO of the Maker Foundation which is now since dissolved. Um, he's been working on decentralized stablecoins for a long time, like since 2014 and like the BitShares era. He's become notorious for his views within the Maker community, specifically his vision for how he wants Maker to reorient itself in a, a plan he calls his endgame vision. Then we have Hasu. So Hasu is a pseudonymous commentator, podcaster, DAO contributor, thought leader within crypto. He's got a lot of hats. I don't know exactly how he describes himself, but uh, he's done a lot of different things within crypto. He was a former professional poker player, which I also was, so we've got that in common. He's now a full-time contributor to Lido, Flashbots, and he's one of the largest DAO delegates within MakerDAO. And he has submitted his own vision for how he thinks that Maker, Maker governance should be reoriented. Okay, so quick background on MakerDAO before we jump into the meat. So MakerDAO, for those of you who've been living under a rock, MakerDAO is a decentralized lending market that issues collateralized loans in its own stablecoin called DAI. So DAI is an over-collateralized stablecoin. It is the largest decentralized stablecoin in existence today. It's also one of the cornerstone protocols of DeFi. So it's very, very important to DeFi. A lot of other things in DeFi use MakerDAO. So people sometimes call it the central bank of DeFi. Its governance token is MKR. The stablecoin is called DAI. So just some high-level stats on MakerDAO. MakerDAO has about $7.5 billion worth of DAI outstanding. It's got about $10.5 billion of TVL. It's one of the largest protocols in existence by total value locked. Maker MKR, the token, the governance token, has a billion dollars fully diluted valuation. MakerDAO, the organization, burns today about $43 million a year and has 115 full-time headcount. 
So it is a large and very expensive organization. Now, it's not exactly, is it a DAO? Is it an organization? How exactly to describe it, I think, is one of the key things that Rune and Hasu will be talking about today. So MakerDAO, in particular, is a fascinating case study in on-chain governance. As I mentioned, Rune was originally the shepherd of the Maker Foundation. Uh, MakerDAO was originally a Swiss found, or originally had a Swiss foundation, but that foundation has since dissolved. And now the core teams, which work on MakerDAO, which are called the core units, uh, they're all given budgets and they're funded every year by the DAO itself. Now, nobody is happy with how MakerDAO is governed. Everyone kind of finds something to be unhappy about. It's kind of like Congress, I guess. Um, but Rune and Hasu each have different qualms with the way that MakerDAO works today. So Rune has, has generally critiqued its overwhelming and opaque complexity, while Hasu critiques its lack of vision and strategy. Now, I'm sure they both disagree on malinvestment or just you know, other things that at the margin MakerDAO could be doing better, but there was a particular vote that took place recently which was the impetus for us to want to bring these two guys on the show. And it's unfortunately taken us a while, but we finally got them here. So this vote took place in June. It was one of the landmark referendums in the history of MakerDAO, one of the largest, highest turnouts in on-chain voting ever, with over 30% of the MKR supply voting on the question, which is about $300 million today worth of MKR was voting on, on this question. The question itself was a little esoteric, and we don't really need to go into it. It proposed the creation of a new lending, uh, a new lending core oversight unit. But the spirit behind the question was exactly the spirit of the question that Rune and Hasu disagree on, which is whether to create more streamlined leadership and decision-making within MakerDAO, which is Hasu's vision, or to keep MakerDAO more amorphous and move toward Rune's stated endgame for the protocol. So the vote on the yes side came Hasu and many of the VCs, like a 16 Paradigm. On the no side came Rune and many of the early maker team. The community itself was split, but it was Rune who ultimately carried the day with about 60% of the vote against the proposal. But this conversation, this, this disagreement about whether MakerDAO's leadership should become more streamlined or whether it should maintain its amorphousness and move toward more toward DAOs and sub-DAOs, that is the disagreement at the heart between Rune and Hasu. So with that preamble out of the way, Rune, I want to first give you five minutes, and I will be counting, to state your vision for MakerDAO and where you disagree with Hasu. Yeah, so I mean, so I think the the first and, and most important thing to talk about is this. I mean, I call it I call it an endgame, right? The concept of an endgame, but it's in the past it's been referred to as governance lockdown, for instance, or even Ice Age. It has many different names over the history of Maker. It's always been this sort of this ultimate long term goal, and the idea is you kind of you want to get like something is decentralized, you want to get it to a point where it stops changing over time, right? You really want to, to have a certain reliability. So you can really count on it as like an infrastructure that doesn't randomly like rock pull or pivot to something else, right? And that's particularly important for a stable coin, right? Because that's really something people need to be able to rely on and need to be, have stability. Literally everyone agrees with that, I think. Where I maybe um, uh, have some, I guess, more extreme views is that I think that if there's even sort of a tiny sort of sliver of a kind of a centralization or sort of slippery slope towards centralization in any kind of sort of ossified or sort of near like sort of a, a state that starts to to reach this kind of like lockdown situation where th it gets harder and harder to change things then uh, in my view then you're guaranteed to basically get sort of complete centralization right because you can't always count on on basically like pioneers and, and founders and sort of uh, thought leaders to just selfishly kind of like 
you know, work to remove themselves out of, of uh, a position of power, basically. And instead, what's, what you're going to get is you're going to get just this sort of natural, you know, human uh, process of, of consolidating power, right? So th that's that in by itself is, is like, that's a huge challenge, I think, right? It's a huge um, problem. And I think basically it's the, the only thing that's really... Um, like justifiable to really work on to change things, right? So I think like all um, decisions, all changes, all sort of um, um, attempts to to really uh, change the status quo and maker has to move towards some kind of coherent vision, a coherent plan for how you're going to get this end game, right? This lockdown and why that's going to be decentralized and why it's going to be safe and why I want a slippery slope into uh, capture of some sort. And then I see basically two ways this can happen, right? And so the first way is, I mean, it's sort of the classic vision for Maker, which is um, what I call sort of, I mean, very early on in Maker, we were just obsessed with this concept of like how blockchain had huge potential of fundamental value, right? Like more efficiency, a faster settlement and transparency and security and all that stuff, right? The reality is you can actually build stuff with blockchain that just runs automatically, right? And I actually still believe that's possible. So that's why one of the things I'm sort of pushing is this possibility of what I call symbol die, which is basically pretty much uh, take what, what exists in Maker today and then uh, get rid of the entire workforce, essentially, and then just let it run by itself. Of course, a few people need to remain, but basically it will, what's there today runs itself for the most part. And, and then you have this massive workforce on top of that which was driven by a kind of desire to grow and desire to, to innovate and, and break barriers and, and break limits, right? And, and it sort of gets into a, a new frontier that we didn't consider early on in Maker, which is, you know, it's, it's not just about building some fundamental value, like build it and it will come, right? But it's also about intangible value, having a brand, having growth, having sort of a growth strategy. And, and that's, some, I mean, in the end, that's something I'm, I'm even more excited about than just sort of fulfilling the original vision of some thing that just works and, and then that's it. But I believe that to do that, you really, I mean, it's an incredible, unbelievable challenge to try to figure out how to do things like organize humans and organize what I call uh, meta, which is basically this sort of the context of how humans and, and the community, how they work together. And then that's sort of this big vision I've come up with is using a tool called MetaDAOs, which basically recognizes that you simply cannot have 130 strong workforce in a DAO. It's impossible. Can't, it's not going to work. It, it's, it's a total failure, right? It descends into like crazy politics, turf wars, power struggles. But if you, and, and it, the reason is because the context for all these people isn't compatible. Like they all come from different sort of walks of life in a sense, right? They've all been onboarded in some kind of random fashion. So what I believe is the is sort of the silver bullet potentially to this is to split it up into many essentially like siloed independent DAOs that are still tied together economically through like a tokenomics and, and all this sort of intangible um, value uh, that altogether I call it meta magic because you can sort of really do some complete sort of uh, hacks almost right of like hack, hacking human psychology with all these tools available in blockchain. Got it. Okay. So you've presented your vision for MakerDAO. Hasu, I'd like you to present your vision and where, uh, if, you, if you can, where you think that Rune's vision falls short of the way you think MakerDAO ought to be governed. Um, sure. I mean, I don't think we really disagree very much about uh, the vision for MakerDAO in the sense, you know, what it should be doing. And I, I can briefly go into that. 
I mean, there's a lot of different voices in Maker and also in the community surrounding Maker. So Maker, I think we all agree Maker is a decentralized bank, but that alone doesn't even tell us very much. Banks over the centuries have pursued many different business functions. I mean, custody, payments, consumer lending, commercial lending, corporate finance, investment banking. So when we say, you know, something is a bank, it can still mean, um, you know, a vast number of combinations of the above options. And so I think before you can really do, before you can, it really even makes sense to start about governance, you need some alignment about what your project, what maker should even be doing. And I think, yeah, that's why, for example, I suggested, so let's create a constitution for maker in order to figure out what we even want. Like I'm, I have, I know what I want, but I don't know what everybody else wants. And I can see that there's a lot of different visions. And I think it would be better if we would all run in the same direction, no matter what that direction is, instead of pulling the DAO into, you know, very different directions that sort of all neutralize each other. So what I would like Maker to be, I mean, I think Maker's most powerful vision is to be a shadow bank. I mean, that's how it's already used today. And I think that's where it has its highest potential. So Maker's product is dollar-denominated demand deposits. I mean, Jenny, like listeners from TradFi, also called the Euro dollar, uh, not tied to Europe. It's just um, sort of dollar-denominated deposits that are created outside of the um, the US regulated banking system. And this product has a huge target market. It's extremely important to get right. There's huge demand to hold US dollar exposure outside of the existing legal system. We'll get to this, I assume, but today we saw another example of why that is. Um, just US regulators can sort of at will, you know, freeze any any deposit that is sort of in their domain. And they cannot do this with dollar deposits that are outside of the US legal system. However, the problem with these shadow banks has been traditionally that they are not uh, FDIC insured. So in the in the past, sort of US central bank has just sort of let them fail and let them sort of yeah fail on their customers. But now these shadow banks have become so big, so systemically important that, you know, um, in the in the last 10 years, the Fed had to bail them out uh, with swap lines anyway. So I think Maker has this huge target market. It has many advantages over traditional shadow banks because it doesn't actually need this kind of deposit insurance. Um, it can just hold liquid collateral. And I think that's something that, for example, we are we super agree on. Like Maker should only hold very scalable, very liquid collateral that we can always liquidate when we need it, right? But for example, this view, it's not, it's not like consensus inside Maker, you know, what we should be doing. So I think before we can even talk about how we should do it, how we, how we can get there and how we can design a system that achieves this purpose, I think we need to kickstart a process about defining sort of a common constitution, a common mission statement for what the, the DAO is supposed to, to do and to be. And I fully expect that, I mean, 20, 30 percent, maybe of the people involved, maybe of the votes are going to disagree with any vision that is chosen and they will probably go and leave. And that's totally fine, right? Because at least now then they have the chance to, to go and, and do and pursue something else. Because, for example, they know that, that their vision of like, for example, a Rye or an LUSD version of Maker, that's, that's not on the table. And I think stuff like that has never really been communicated for Maker. 
You already touched on it very briefly, but I think sort of the main way that my proposal differs um, from Ruins is sort of it focuses on very specific tasks. It identifies very specific tasks that need to be done and um, creates specific roles that then are dedicated um, in order to filling these, these objectives. And this includes setting a strategic direction for the DAO, setting an annual budget, sort of observing, you know, setting like a risk management policy for the DAO, hiring and firing core units, monitoring the financials and setting like a legal strategy. And basically, so providing like high level strategy, but also oversight for the workforce. Yeah. So because I thought that this is all things that are currently missing from the DAO. And I think that it would be really important that there is a dedicated role uh, in order to steer the DAO from this like very high level perspective, right? Because what the token holders are they can vote on individual decisions, but what they're explicitly not good at is like zooming out and not thinking like, what do I think about this one decision? But what do I think about, like, what is the, even the design space for decisions? And what do I think about this decision in the context of all other possible decisions that are not even mentioned here? And so I think like steering, like system as complex as maker, as ambitious as maker, is just completely impossible if you're like so low level. And that's why we need something like I call it a council council of makers to like take a very like deliberately bird's eye view on the system and steer it from there. Okay. So if I can try to summarize very briefly the, the two opening statements. So Rune, it sounds like basically your view is that look, you know, when we started maker, we had a very simple idea of what we wanted to build. And over time it's become more and more, I wouldn't say politically captured, but politically complex. It's become this big spider's web full of all sorts of stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be there. And your vision is one of, hey, let's return back to kind of a minimal viable maker. You know, there, there are ways in which we might want to be more aggressive, but the first and number one thing is like, let's simplify a lot of the complexity that has landed within MakerDAO. Also, your vision is that, you know, look, right now MakerDAO is basically being decided by token holders, but token holders don't have sufficient direction and alignment of vision to be able to build the right thing. And everything in, in life is about building the right thing. So you propose that they create a constitution that describes what the goal and broad vision for MakerDAO is, and for there to be a, an elected or you know, some, some kind of council of decision makers who are responsive to token holders, but it's not token holders voting directly on individual decisions. Yeah, so that sums it up, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, sorry, Robert, you were gonna say something. To flesh out the surface area of agreement and disagreement just a little bit more, you know, Hasu, one of the things you said was that, you know, you wanted, you know, die to be backed by liquid collateral. One of the things that I've seen happening in MakerDAO is that the collateral base of DAI over time has been moving in two directions. One is towards, albeit liquid collateral, like USD coin, uh, which is you know comprising a larger and larger portion of the backing of DAI, as well as less liquid, you know, collateral or things that aren't as on-chain accessible, which you know really falls into the more real-world assets camp. Which is, you know, there was recently a treasury you know approach to start including treasuries and corporate debt as the backing, you know, for the system, as well as, you know, real world assets, loans to banks and other, you know, off-chain entities, you know, how do you each see that backing of DAI? Is it positive? Is it negative? You know, Hasu, you specifically said that, you know, you wanted DAI to be outside of the control of, you know, the U.S. banking system and, you know, regulatory system, you know, but all of these things that are increasingly backing DAI are directly controllable by that system. How do you each see this transformation that's occurring? I mean, so I really think that, um, like, so first of all, I want, want 
Park, where me and Hasu definitely agree. I mean, I think beyond this, just the sort of sense of there needs to be some stability. But I mean, and that's what the constitution Hasu is talking about also brings to the table, right? Sort of ground rules. And basically you put the ground rules in place and then you play by those rules instead of constantly trying to sort of metagame and, and change the rules so they favor you, right? Which is kind of the, like what happens if you don't get some, some stability uh, into the political dynamic, right? And I mean, and then there is a sense of like, how do you really, like, how do you agree on a constitution? What, what's going to cause you to agree to some ground rules rather than try to game them for your own benefit? And that's where I really, it, it goes into this concept of what I call the meta or the, the culture, the sort of the context of the, um, the sort of the humans basically involved, right? Because I strongly believe that a DAO simply cannot function if it's purely for profit. Like if it's simply a sort of a money-making enterprise, it, it, you can sort of logically show that it simply is never going to work. And that's because it, like the definition of a DAO is that it's not a legal entity, right? There's no legal protection. And what, one of the consequences of that is things like corruption and embezzlement and theft. And none of that means anything in a DAO, right? It's perfectly, it's, it, it's sort of, if you can do it, then uh, the DAO sort of wants you to do it, right? That's, that's the whole concept of, I like, guess, sort of the cornerstone of decentralization, right? And so in a situation where people are only motivated by greed, the, the problem is that, that, you know, there's never this sort of shared vision in that case, right? It's really always just an individual vision of I'm interacting with this thing to maximize the value I, I can extract out of it. And that's going to then sort of permeate governance, right? So people vote for whatever benefits them personally. But even worse, it goes into, it sort of impacts the workforce. It impacts the management, uh, if you have something like that, right? And, and it's just going to be... I mean, that's sort of endless free fall. And, and then that's why I think in the end, what you always get is you sort of cut through the insanity and establish some kind of real hierarchy, real centralization, and then turns it effectively into something with real legal protections, right? And the, the solution to that is some kind of vision that goes beyond just making money and, and just uh, being in it for profit, right? Which is, um, and I think, I mean, I think, you know, we sort of also like uh, alluded to that, right? It's about having people that align about this is not, we're not just here to make money. We're here for some bigger thing. And, and not everyone can get aligned around that, but that's, it's so important to have that alignment that it's, it's actually worth it to basically find something where enough people can be like, now there's a real reason for us to be engaged and, and uh, contribute to this in a way I would think is more sort of altruistic, right? Actually vote what's good for the whole DAO, right? What's good for, for the, our vision, for our our purpose, Rune, hold on. That, that that's such a that's such a fascinating claim. I've never heard that said before. That like in a DAO, there's no such thing as embezzlement because a DAO is a is an is an extra legal concept. It almost sounds like what you believe is that in a DAO, people are just like it's pure state of nature. People are just doing whatever the hell they want. They are kind of you know stealing at the margin wherever they possibly can. Do you actually think that's how people behave within MakerDAO? I mean, I don't, so I don't think that we are, we're, I mean, Maker is already sliding in that direction, but we haven't even seen the, the beginning of it, right? Like, I mean, it would, it, and, and, and that comes back to this concept. I mean, again, I, I really find this term meta, the sort of the context, the, 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 the second order um, of what's happening. It kind of uh, it can have a certain momentum, right? And, and one of the things it can do it can deteriorate, right? So so corruption in an organization spreads because you see everyone else doing it, and then you start doing it yourself. And and it's I mean in Maker there's nothing like that, right? You don't have like 
anything like real embezzlement, real corruption, or anything like that. But what there, what was happening for a long time was this memification of decentralization, as I would call it, right? So once upon a time, decentralization was considered very was taken very seriously. But then for all the people that have to actually do things, it's super, super inconvenient for them to constantly have to deal with all this like decentralization, maximalism and LARPing. And, and over time, it started to sort of slide as a principle, right? And then you actually started opening the door to things that could really sort of irreversibly centralize it now. And I think the exact same uh, process, I mean, will certainly play out for things like like accessing budgets, right? Like at first you're sort of thinking about, I'm going to get this budget for what's best for the whole organization. I'm all about, you know, doing contributing value. But then if you see everyone else sort of, um, you know, building up a fat buffer and a fat budget and there's no, I mean, it's, it's just, you're naturally going to, you're going to naturally work in that direction if there's no counter force against that. And that counter force it cannot be that we're here to make money because everyone's just, I mean, that's exactly the thing that's going to drive that kind of, of uh, sliding, right? It has to be some kind of greater purpose. And so, I mean, so what I've pushed in the past, what actually was my first realization that this is so important was uh, clean money, right? So this idea that you can have the collateral itself of die and sort of what die actually, in a sense, physically is. You can have that be the purpose, right? And, and have that be sort of the, the reason why um, it has to be die that should succeed, right? And why it has to be die that people should work for and, and volunteer and contribute to, right? Because you can literally create a currency that, that produces positive externality, right? In the same way that the current financial system is like destroying the world, right? And, and producing negative externalities all over the place. You could actually reverse that process and create something that just makes the world better sort of automatically, right? Driven by the power of blockchain, right? Um, and I think with something like that in place, you're going to have actually the, the possibility of creating like a real, like ossified constitution, right? Where you're going to get the system to a place where everyone's involved because it's doing good. And because they think there's some real purpose for this beyond just making a bunch of money. So they're not, they'll not accept somebody coming and, and being like, oh, let's mess with some budgets. Let's do some stuff over here. Like some, let's do some, pull some tricks here and there, right? Regardless if they try to like bribe people or do some propaganda, all this stuff that, that absolutely will happen, I mean, happens and will happen in DAO politics, right? Because in the end, there is some, there's a tangible sort of upside that goes beyond just what's in it for me, right? And, and I think that's how you really get, yeah, I think that's how you get this sort of stability. And, and to draw a comparison, I think that's something, like that's what, for instance, makes Bitcoin totally, you know, unassailable, right? Everyone's just like, they're not just in Bitcoin, for the money. I mean, it's a big part of it. Even the maximalists, right? They, of course, they're all there to speculate and so on. But there is also that like sense of like freedom and sovereignty and living in the mountains out of reach of the government, right? And that causes, I mean, that creates a meta where the exchanges are not going to, you know, the miners and exchanges, they're not going to collude because they know that like the entire world is going to be against them, right? The, the second order of sort of feedback is that that everyone else knows that nobody else is going to mess with Bitcoin. So nobody's going to try, even if theoretically they could fork it and introduce inflation or whatever, right? But it simply won't happen. So, so Rune, it sounds like a lot of your view about MakerDAO and DAO governance generally is driven by this skepticism about human nature, let's say, and about kind of the purity of incentives quickly getting eroded when there's power to be had, when there's money to be made. Hasu, what, what, what is your take? Do you disagree with that? Or do you, do you largely think that 
Rune is basically correct, but you think that the, the solution to this problem is different than what Rune's presenting. I mean, I, I thought the original question from Robert was <laughs> more interesting. Um, so let's go back to the original question. <laughs> you, were asking, you were asking about collateral, right? I mean, I, I can briefly sort of, I, there's a bunch of things we could like, we could talk about, but I, I thought your original question is very interesting just because it's so timely. Like you were asking about the, whether like we should have real world assets in, in Maker and, and such, right? And like um, stable coins backing the DAI, I think might be interesting just for the audience to hear about this briefly, like, because this is actually something that I think Rune and I are in complete agreement about. And Rune actually had this like super insightful tweet about this earlier. I would call it like this, this decentralized stable coin trilemma almost. You can have a coin that's stable slash solvent. You can have a coin that's backed by non-US dollar collateral, and you can have a coin that's that's scalable. Uh, you can have only two out of these three properties, but you can't have all three. So any stable coin system needs to sacrifice uh, one of the three sides. I mean, Maker has has decided that it wants you know to be a stable coin. It wants the die to always be at a dollar. They there used to be a huge debate about this in the past, but um, sort of the side that wanted um, die to be one dollar. One, I think that in hindsight, that was a very good decision. It does sacrifice, you know, trustlessness of the system necessarily because you have to then like, once you made this decision, you need to decide like, do we want non-USD collateral in Maker or do we want Maker to be scalable? And from, from, from that point on, like basically you have to pick one of the two sides and Maker chose um, scalability because in order to like for Maker, it's not just enough to be like, you can make a system that's useful very useful for a few people, or you can make a system that's, you know, potentially useful for the whole world. And, um, I really think it, it depends on what your, like your objective function is. And I think Rune's vision and the, the, largely the vision of the maker community is to create a global currency, a currency that is accessible to anyone in the world. And for that, it needs to be, you know, very liquid and it needs to be, have wide distribution and so on. So, and in, there's only one way to guarantee that. So DAI deposits, if you use a traditional sort of asset liability model, then, you know, DAI is a liability of maker. And right now it has sort of on the order of like five to $6 billion of USDC um, backing these demand deposits. So anyone can take uh, one DAI, you know, go to, go to maker and, you know, withdraw one USDC for that. And um, that's really important in order to, you know, create stability at the pack in order to basically create this guarantee that 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 people can always withdraw one dollar of collateral for one dollar of die. And uh, if you have dollar denominated liabilities, then you need dollar denominated assets backing that. And so the you know the amount of available collateral. Wait, wait, why? I'm going to interject. Why ether is not dollar denominated per se, right? It's it's an arbitrary asset, right? Ether has exchange rate risk relative to the US dollar. It's wild. And it's great collateral. So why do you have to have dollar denominated collateral for this to work? Okay, so there are two ways to create DAI. Um, the first is, uh, and this is how Maker used to work in the early days. And this is, you have someone who deposits collateral, such as Ether, and then they borrow DAI against that collateral. And by doing that, they go short EFUSD because they have sort of they, they borrow USD against ETH and then they sell the USD. So this this is one way that DAI can go in circulation. But this this way of creating DAI is sort of extremely, you know, it, it's purely dependent on the demand to, you know, borrow DAI against USD. 
which is like really small and it's not at all matched with sort of the demand to actually hold die. So you need a way for the for the demand to hold die and for the demand to to borrow die against Eve. You need these to be uh, sort of in some kind of equilibrium with each other. And so the much more scalable way of actually meeting the the big global demand to hold die is to allow die to create it from other dollar like stable assets. And this is what the PSM does in Maker, the Pack Stability Module, which is if demand for die ever goes above let's say like $1, one cent, then it becomes profitable for arbitrageurs to deposit one USDC in the system to mint one die and sell the one die for for one USDC and one cent, right? And then prof profit one cent. So you basically have infinite scalability as long as you have dollar collateral backing this. But like we don't want USDC, like we want don't want the current um, dependence on USDC that we have. Like, We want to replace USDC, not just because it's a huge central point of failure, but also because USDC doesn't pay us any yield, right, on this. Uh, so Circle is making uh, 3 to 4% on all of these deposits that they hold in the bank. And Maker is getting zero of that. So Maker should, in theory, earn... I mean, it, it does allow you to expand the die supply without dropping interest rates, right? Like, and I think that was you know part of the whole thesis, which is like, um, you know, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point, Tom. Yeah, so it does have some benefits. I mean, it does on the other side; it introduces a lot of sort of existential risk um, and creates the narrative that like dies just wrapped USDC and such, right? So, I mean, in theory, like instead of just USDC, Maker should be backed by a range of different stable coins. Um, that all have profit-sharing agreements with, with Maker on the yield that they generate from the money that is ultimately sitting somewhere in the banking system. And then Maker should also be backed by commercial bonds and governance bonds because these are, you know, some of the, these are some of the sort of safest and most liquid U.S. dollar-denominated sort of yield-bearing assets that there are. And I think, you know, this is something that, like, nothing that I said is sort of controversial among, I would say, like, 80% of like MKR. This is like something that I would say that we all agree on and sort of anyone who disagrees with that is sort of already like well, in the Well, in the minority. spirit of this being a debate, let's maybe try to zoom in on the controversy, which is why we brought you both on. I think it's also important that like people understand all of which is not the controversy because I did see today on Twitter like a lot of people saying, okay, so like this proves that Maker can't be backed by USDC Uh, maker can't be backed by reward assets, et cetera, et cetera. So just want to make like for like these reasons clear that yeah, that's not I, the I case. would like, like to dive into like, yeah. you know, RWA stuff and, and USDC at some point, but I, I am kind of curious, like I think so far, you know, you guys have been talking a little bit about your, your respective visions. And I, I think also your, your blog posts go into a lot of detail or the um, forum posts rather go into a lot of detail around how you sort of see the world and like what you want to see. But I'm curious, like, what more specifically you disagree with, right? Like, there, there's one, one thing to say, hey, here's generally speaking how I think you know, makers should go. You know, here's, here's what I want to do with MetaDAOs. But, like, I'm, I'm curious, and this is for both of you, maybe starting with Rune, like, like what specifically do you, you know, disagree with most in, in Hasu's uh, post and Hasu's point of view? I mean, I think what I, would, what I think I, I can respond to is, like, what Hasu was just saying, which is, like, so I think I agree with, like, I think the way Hasu laid it up is, like, I agree with this that it's like, that's the most, what I would say, um, sort of most, uh, I don't know, right. That's sort of enlightened kind of like, this is the obvious kind of, um, business as usual, where 
where Maker, we've already been seeing Maker going. It's like, of course, me, like there's this whole thing about uh, just like ETH is a perfect collateral, but it doesn't scale. Getting bonds on chain, getting like sta- like getting access to the yields and centralized stablecoins on chain, all of that stuff is like it's amazing. Like if you can build something on like that and just scale it up and and you know become sort of the the, uh, the stable coin of stable coins or stable coin of, of bonds and it's all on chain. Like that is, that's an incredible product. Um, unfortunately, I don't think that um, it's gonna, you know, I don't think, I don't think it will be a, a stable equilibrium essentially. Right. I mean, cause or rather it's like, it's not guaranteed that it will basically be allowed to exist. Right. I mean, we're already seeing in the U S I, th- I think it's basically been decided that um, they're gonna, they're gonna stump on the on the stable coins basically like they're gonna like not just not just die actually even usdc they're gonna they're gonna turn it into something like e-money in europe which is like an unviable business model basically uh i mean of course we can hope that this uh the latest stable coin bill or whatever doesn't pass right but but it's it's being brought forth with like the momentum of you know that's like what they decided to turn uh, luna's collapse into right they're basically trying to sort of not actually ban, but practically ban stablecoins. Um, so I think, and, and I mean, in Europe, they've got, we've got Mika. Mika is actually really, really awesome because it uh, exempts uh, Maker specifically. It nukes pretty much everything else, but Maker, which is like, in, in, I would not argue in its current form or something very close to its current form where it's fully decentralized, it, it's being actually exempted and actually gets into a very nice spot. But the same thing is, is, is happening where there's all this discussion around, well, how do we actually kill it? Because that's what they actually want, right? And, and I think increasingly, I mean, they've been moving further towards actually, let's just kill it. Uh, that's, that's the sense I get in, in, in both in the US and in Europe. And, and we've seen like struggling economies around the world. They, one of the first things they like to do is, is to um, ban all crypto, right? And, and as things are going to get worse in, in the West, we will see the same kinds of, of things, right? So I think, first of all, the first thing I, that I wear sort of, um, I mean, I basically disagree with Hasu that it has to be only liquid, like, or rather, I mean, this may be not the way to put it, but I think that what I call clean money is basically collateral where you, deliber- you, you deliberately use stuff as collateral that you wouldn't use purely for financial reasons. And you use it essentially for like, I mean, well, I would call it for meta, for, for meta reasons, right? But, but for sort of PR and political reasons, not to mention internal governance reasons, right? But essentially, we need to like prove to the world why they shouldn't shut us down, right? And why the politicians uh, should understand that they'll actually get more votes if they if they allow something like Maker to to exist rather than if they shut it down because we are able to sort of uh, show to regular people that there's some real value for them in this, right? Such as Here's a technical solution that can help with the, the huge coordination problem of, of climate, right? But beyond that, I also think we need to be like properly prepared for like a full um, sort of failure of, of these legal systems that, that right now we, we feel very, uh, like it's very convenient to sort of rely on and increasingly uh, build on top of. I mean, not just these political attempts to destroy uh, stable coins. But I think even like a social breakdown, right? Because as I said earlier, once you start to see the cracks showing in an economy, they're gonna they, they really crack down on crypto. That's one of the things they they do. And and I view that's really what I view. Like Dai should really be, you know, the currency that that doesn't die in that situation, right? So you know the old the good old die or die, right? That that um, we need to figure out how to navigate past that. And I think 
to do that, we have to tap into these, like not just the basic fundamentals of efficiency, but we have to figure out how to all, like how to get the community to come together basically and how to tap into these, these new frontiers of what you can do with blockchain and, and Web3 and metaverse and intangible value and, 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 you know, the ability for humans to organize with all this stuff. And, and so, Rune, how do, you, how do you think Hasu's idea of there being a sort of council of elders for MakerDAO, how do you think that plays into those political risks that you're describing? Yeah, I mean, so I, I mean, I think also like so I actually um, I sort of amended my own uh, plan to actually include something called councils just because I think it's like a great I think it's a great term. It's a great term, right? Like, I think, uh, I think it's like a completely, um, like, I, I don't think it's viable to have a single council, basically. Like, that sort of directly goes against what I believe is sort of uh, possible. I mean, or rather, if you have a single council, well, either you will have, like, you will literally just have all value going to that council. Like, they'll basically sort of embezzle all the value in the system, or more likely, they'll do that and then there'll be some kind of backlash scandal type of thing. And then that's going to result in some sort of legal framework being imposed on this identifiable group. Right. So the solution, as I see it, is you have a ton of like many councils and you also kind of, um, you know, you put checks and balances in place to their power. So you make sure they, they, um, you know, they, they set the high level, they sort of help with setting, they, they, they provide expertise for the high level direction and implementation and sort of what, what conforms to the constitution and what doesn't, and these kind of very important high-level questions. But you, you know, you sort of balance it out so they don't also sit and and uh, are involved in like I don't know making deals or engaging with counterparties to the point where they can build up. Yeah, some I mean, yeah, something called private entanglement, but basically a kind of power, like a kind of leverage that you can get in a DAO that that makes it very difficult to kind of undo. Like once you build it up, it's very hard to to unwind again. And that's one of my biggest fears and, and why I come back to this thing of like, you have to put in place something that is so decentralized, it can't be cracked because any kind of crack, you know, once it starts happening, it'll, it'll only go one way, I think. So, um, so Hasu, let's get your response. It sounds like Rune believes that your proposals don't sufficiently take into account the political risks, both of the existence of, of a single council, but also the political risks that are imposed on MakerDAO's just continuing existence. Yeah, so I think we both agree that something has to be done, that there are sort of, I mean, large inefficiencies in Maker, not just inefficiencies, but also sort of large voter apathy and like entrenchment of the token holders and the borrowers, that all of this stuff is sort of, you know, it leads to a, a sort of a slow death for Maker, and it also makes it much easier to capture by regulators. So I think something that both of our proposals tackle in their own unique way instead of how can we create strong checks and balances in maker so i think both both sort of proposals have at their core something close to sort of i like to call this like owner operator separation where sort of the the owners of the dao that okay our token holders no longer have to be the ones that are operating it day to day and this was already sort of kicked off with the introdu introduction of delegates but it would sort of be taken further with the introduction of one council or several councils, right? Um, but once you, once you start to delegate and sort of say, okay, so I'm appointing an agent to, you know, manage the DAO on my behalf, or at least like this small sub part of the DAO, then it, it's really important to get, you know, the sort of make sure that, you know, the print you have, you keep the principal agent problem in check, you know, that 
that you keep the incentives of the two parties uh, aligned with each other. And that's where I think actually that my, like that the simple makeup proposal that, that I put out is um, actually, I mean, it sounds simpler, but I think it's actually, it's much cleaner and actually does this job better um, because it's, it's way easier to provide oversight on one council for MKR token holders than on 20 councils. Like you need way fewer eyes, you need way fewer people to be engaged to observe sort of the output of one group than of many different individual groups. Why, so why do you think it won't be the case that this council will not just embezzle or, you know, uh, enrich themselves from their position as council members? Well, so there's a couple different reasons. I mean, for one, in my vision, the council can only make recommendations to token holders. So it can create, I mean, it can create um, proposals that then, but these have to still be voted on. Every single proposal still has to be voted on by the MKR token holders. But it's sort of presented in a much more high level way. So it becomes actually much easier to, to, uh, for the token holders to understand what is actually being voted on. So for one, they never give up control, but they also gain sort of so much context and like bird's eye view on every decision that is being made because the council only makes like very rare, uh, occasional sort of very high level decisions. So for example, when the council would create a budget once per year instead of sort of continuously or maybe once every, every six months, then it have it would have to you know in all of the uh, the budgets for the different core units and the different initiatives that make us they are all presented and negotiated at the same time and sort of anybody can look at say oh yeah i think you know is this like are we spending too much in total or not uh, like where does this money go like and if i want to give more money to this coin then i have to decide i want to take it away from this other coin and so on so i think um, that we're actually making the decisions much more transparent and actually much easier to oversee and that we are adding um, a lot of accountability to the MKR token holders, which don't exist today. Because I, I agree that this is what makes sense on paper, right? But what I've seen in reality play, because I mean, I actually think the same logic, you could almost apply the same logic to the core units themselves, right? That like, in the end, they, I mean, they can't push anything through and they have to come back to, to get their budgets renewed and so on, right? But what I really think is a central issue, like a really big sort of corner we backed ourselves into is that, yeah, again, it's the, it's the context of this, right? So the real context, right? So on paper, they're supposed to blah, blah, serve the DAO and all about decentralization and all about cutting costs and so on. But when push comes to shove, you kind of see this, like the way the dynamic actually is that, that it's like, you know, here's the thing we worked on and it's great. And here's a budget, there's a bunch of money and we need some here, here, and uh, we made it. And, you know, we were chosen because we're the smart ones that know how to do this. So here it is. And basically, you know, this is the thing, right? And then if people sort of push back, it's like, oh my God, you know, you're MK holders, you have no clue what you're doing. You all just want to cut budgets and, you know, cut and that's going to harm growth, but you have no sense of thinking about the long term, right? And I mean, there will be this, I remember these cases of like, People coming into the the Discord, right, and and sort of um, asking why the hell is the budget at fifty million, right, or thirty million, or whatever it was at, and then you had like one guy asking why is the budget so high, and then immediately you get like twenty to thirty like full time employees, right, who's in full time job is this stuff swarming and being like budgets are great for growth, you know, budget, 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 but right, and and and, and nobody wants to participate in that kind of situation, right. 
Like no one wants to be like the volunteer sort of idiot that's carrying all the other free riders that are not even speaking up at all, right? And then you have to fight politically against like 30 full-time experts who live and breathe this stuff, right? And I mean, the only thing I can imagine that's worse than that is like going up against like a council of like the seven makers, right? <laughs> who has been sitting on this post for like 10 years, right? And you think you're coming to whatever, right? Like in practice, even if someone sort of had the, like the power to kind of, I mean, so let's assume, right? I mean, of course, it's a hypothetical scenario, right? But let's imagine they're like super corrupt and they've been there for like a decade. And someone's like able to kind of like get in there and figure, generate some kind of leverage. Just like, okay, now, you know, like finally I can like, I don't know, replace one of them or something like that, right? It's just, it's like, and of course, I mean, I know that, that of course, um, this is, I mean, okay, so this is an unfair, I mean, I recognize this is a totally unfair example, right? But it is, it, the point is, like, I think that, like, if you're already seeing all this, that, that everyone's just looking out for themselves, like, what's going to cause you to then do it for sort of the greater good and to undo all this corruption? Like, I really think the people would do this so they could get a cut, right? So you may be going to replace someone on the council, but the person who gets in there, it's gonna, I mean, it's going to be like Russia or something, right? And the new king or whatever will just take over the, 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 you know, the ability to, to extract value. And uh, I, I think the, the only way to get out of this is to basically, I mean, so, and so I would say we, we disagree on this, like this um, agent owner separation, right? That, I mean, there has to, I mean, obviously there has to be like experts because MKRs can't be the experts because, but, but I think you actually must have what I call, um, I mean, basically like volunteers, like, like semi-altruists, I call it, right? Like people who are sort of, they're in it because they can benefit through appreciation of the MKR token, but not for some kind of special interest they have, right? So they're really just looking out for the token. And then because they're looking out for the token, they're looking out for the users, the die holders, because the token is linked to the, the die holders, right? And we have to build systems where you can't get comfortable and lean back and, and it'll work even if the MKR holders are totally out of it. That's kind of what I, I mean, that's what I discovered. Like, that's why I got back into it like uh, six months ago is because I noticed that there's literally not a single person active that wasn't getting paid in some shape or form, right? So the whole, like, the, the inmates were running the asylum, right? There was actually nobody watching out at that point, like, because you can't, you know, you can't go toe-to-toe with, with uh, people that are full-time professionals, especially when the whole thing is set up to sort of give them the momentum and give them the initiative. And so that's what I believe we need to do. We need to build something where you sort of put the MKR holder on a pedestal in a sense, right? Like the people who actually volunteer, who are not getting paid, who are there sort of to, to uh, simply vote and, and participate and, and, and basically sort of do their duty, almost like jury duty or something like that. Everything must be set up for them and for them to be able to actually interact anywhere they want and for them to kind of like match all the, the full-time professional actors in terms of like the ability to, to politically uh, clash in a sense. Right. Well, let, let's give, let's give Hasu an opportunity to respond. Yeah. I mean, I, I basically completely disagree that, you know, MK holders should be put on a pedestal or that they should, that they really have like a ton to add to the operation of MakerDAO. I think the project is way too big, too important and too ambitious and too complicated. Like for anyone who isn't, sort of a full-time employee or like a long-term expert in, in the field. And that's, that really is a very small sort of intersection um, of people that sort of even qualify for, you know, steering MakerDAO in a meaningful sense. And I, I, I just think like the intersection of like these groups who are also then, you know, 
large MKR holders is basically zero. If the project is supposed to have any future, then I think we make it, we need to make it possible for experts to drive MakerDAO and we need to make it extremely easy for MKR holders to hold these experts accountable and to audit the whole system from different angles. So for example, the council or councils, I think they should not just contain MKR holders, for example, or like not just like shouldn't just like contain like people who make like strategic decisions or financial decisions, etc. You should also have sort of, you know, someone in there who represents, for example, die holders and one who represents the interests um, of borrowers and maybe one who interests, uh, you know, has the interests of like the underlying blockchain, like the Ethereum ecosystem, for example, in mind. I think definitely you should sort of factor in all of these different viewpoints. I and mean, that's something that we also do at Lido, sort of the dual governance approach and optimism does with the do their, you know, house approach. And I think that's that is really the future, like having strong division of power, but sort of in in at least like one side of it, have sort of experts driving the ship. And then everybody else, you know, gets a really clean look at, you know, what the experts are doing and um, that they are steering in the right direction. And along with that comes the, you know, the ability to, to fire the council, you know, at will, right? I mean, not just um, approve anything that the council does, everything needs approval, but also sort of the ability to like unilaterally like replace council members or fire the entire council. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this stuff is really important to get right, sort of the checks and balances. And this is actually where we get to my my biggest sort of problem that I have with Ruin's endgame vision. And that is that it's too complicated for me to understand. It's, I think it has now sort of five posts. I, um, I read the summaries. The summaries alone are like, there are five summaries there together, like over 100 pages. And for me, it's just, it's just too complicated. Like I can read it, but... It's too complicated for me to like look at the whole system and say, yeah, this is definitely going to work. Like this is definitely, you know, not going to be exploitable. And it's fundamentally not the way that I would, you know, design a system. I think my, my approach to system design is, you know, first define sort of the objective function of the system, decide where we want to go. Then think of the design space for, you know, what are sort of the, the different governance systems that you can put on top in order to get us there. And really keep it as simple, as simple as possible, because complexity is such a big risk and such a big danger. So the biggest unspoken danger of all, you know, systems that pride themselves on, you know, their resilience and, and such. And I think for Maker, it's extremely important that it, it is resilient. Um, that's one of its most important features. For me, I couldn't vote for, you know, this proposal because of its complexity um, to me, that's sort of its big shortcoming. And I think a lot of work, like Rune, you have to put a lot of work, you know, into greatly, greatly simplifying it before I think it becomes sort of viable for, you know, many voters like me. Yeah, that's also feedback that I've also, you know, given you already sort of um, six to nine months ago. Can I ask one question about the end game plan that jumped out at me from it that I really liked? And I'd love to get Hasu's thoughts on this as well. So one of the things that I found really exciting about the end game plan was the mention that, you know, eventually MakerDAO could move beyond a simple synthetic dollar asset, which was, you know, part of the original vision of MakerDAO that got me excited years and years and years ago. 
to creating new synthetic assets, you know, whether it would be like a synthetic euro or a synthetic ether or a synthetic Bitcoin or a synthetic, you know, equity index or whatever. Rune, like, you know, do you think that that's crucial or core to the vision of MakerDAO? And Hasu, do you think that that is crucial or core to the vision of MakerDAO? So there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about with that, with synthetic assets, because that's actually been like, that's been, that was part of sort of the vision from the start, right? So that's, and actually I would say nowadays, synthetic assets is a part of what I call the Trinity, which is this concept invented by Frex, that there's this sort of natural law of gravity around what are the obvious, once you reach a certain level of complexity of, of governance, so you do risk management, you have this Trinity of stuff you, you kind of always want to build out. Both me and Hasu, we're basically saying, look, we need something that uh, is possible to kind of like audit and, and control and, and, and have certain guarantees around it. And in order to get that, it needs to be simple um, and, and complexity is the enemy, right? And then the main difference is that, so I think the real, like, I don't think that 100 pages of sort of technical design or constitutional design uh, or even 200 pages or how many pages you want, I don't think that is complex at all compared to the complexity of human incentives, basically. And not just human incentives, not just like selfishness, but even like, you know, irrational malice, you know, in terms of interpersonal conflict and, you know, beef and uh, insanity and, and mental illness. And, you know, this whole, this good thing around like the, the number of CEOs that are psychopaths and all this stuff, right? So that's what I think is like the challenge that um, that MPI holders need to be able to deal with. Like, I'm not so, not even close to worried about MPI holders being able to risk manage. Uh, I mean, that's also a crazy challenge, right? Of course, risk managing liquidation of, of assets at some massive scale, but dealing with, with people, right? And, and, and especially dealing with people in the total absence of legal frameworks, of shareholder protection, you know, like fiduciary duty, that's what I think is like the in, almost impossible challenge, right? And so to bring it back to, to um, what Hasu talked about with the council, right? And then you put someone who represents die holders, you put someone who represents ETH holders into the council, right? But I mean, I'm assuming that those people would still get paid, right? In which case, they're, not, they're going to represent the bureaucracy, right? I mean, that's the reality of how human behavior works. It's like literally one humans one-on-one, right? And I mean, more than anything else, they're going to be subject to this very good old thing called the iron law of bureaucracy, which is that, you know, which is, again, this the context of an organization original, like a bureaucracy or, or an organization is created to do X. But the internal dynamics in practice, sort of empirically, you just we know that in almost all cases, what happens is the sort of individual replacement of people and the individuals of power struggles of people in an, in an organization in a sense, sort of represent the organization itself rather than its purpose, uh, gaining power, right? Simply because it's, it, again, it's something like a, a loss of, a, like a gravity, a natural law in a sense, right? So I think that you would have like someone representing die holders, someone representing ETH holders, someone representing whatever, um, if the Ethereum blockchain, working together with council, representing real world assets, blah, blah, blah. And, and they would all, like, what they would do is they would like secretly collude to produce propaganda, making it look like they are whatever, whatever the pe whatever they think will keep people to basically shut up and let them do their thing, and then um, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll like their objective would always be to just maintain sort of um, uh, like uh, in like I mean, sort of risk, like 
like their goal would be resilience, but it would be their own resilience, right? And and I think the only way to prevent that is to build up something. I mean, that's basically more like it looks more complex in terms of of um, sort of mapping out all the pieces. But in, but what we're doing is we're making explicit the structure that becomes sort of you know let's implicit in a in a in this kind of structure where you sort of count on people taking care of it. Hmm. I mean, so. I would take the other approach and say, um, you know, let's not just say that shareholder protection doesn't exist in a DAO and can't exist and that fiduciary duty can't exist in a DAO and that DAOs can't be transparent, etc. Because I think we can just design the DAO in order to have all of these properties. And then you can actually have ma managers in place um, and like people steering the DAO on behalf of the token holder. And they are accountable to th these token holders, you know, That, that they are working for. So that is, that was kind of, that was my starting point, um, to be honest, like that you can have these things in a DAO and that you can design simple systems that, that, that create them and that you can tune these systems over time as the need for that arises. And I mean, what I think we completely agree on is that we want to minimize the surface for governance, you know, as much as possible, right? We, we, we both want to build a system that can grow to, you know, a trillion, a trillion dollar and die, uh, circulation. Um, and you know, the, there is a lot of tail risk from something going wrong. I think that like the risk from something going wrong and die is like, um, you want to minimize sort of that, that risk a lot because you're dealing with people's savings here and you want this currency to be very, very reliable and, and you want to, it to be resilient to internal capture, but also to captured by nation state attackers. And so, so I think we completely agree that we want, um, you know, the core maker to ossify as much as possible and then sort of have a lot of expansion, a lot of initiatives on the edges. Right. And, um, I, I think, and like, I haven't seen sort of an actual spec for the concept of a meta DAO and what that would look like. I don't think it exists yet, but I mean, in, in theory, this is also an idea that I think has been discussed before and that I'm high level supporting, right? Uh, like uh, a meta DAO just being sort of the high level idea that you have, um, you know, an organization that, for example, from, from maker gets the ability to mint die up to a certain debt limit, but it has to put up some of its own collateral first. Um, and so if they, if something goes wrong with that die, then, you know, they are on the hook first before sort of uh, it affects the, the maker community. For me, that, that looks, for example, also like a good scaling model. But then you still need, like, you need a central, in the central hub, you need someone to pull, you know, the strings and like set, okay, so what is the risk limit for that meta DAO going to be? And, and if we have sort of this budget, you know, and there are 10 meta DAOs applying in which we should we fund, et cetera. So I think you, you do need someone taking the central position because it does exist. And you, you very aptly described earlier what happens if that doesn't exist, which is, you do see budgets spiraling out of control because of course for token holders, every new proposal from a core unit looks amazing and looks like we need to fund this thing now, but it doesn't factor in the next three budget proposals and the previous three budget proposals. To be honest, like a lot of mistakes have been made in makers governance systems, not predicting these things, which to like for me coming in late is very hard to believe that for example, it could be allowed that the, The, the budget isn't decided, you know, once every six months for all core units, that there is this, 
that there even is this like rolling window of approvals for all of these things. And I think we, I mean, this is like the really, really low hanging fruits that we should clean up first. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that comes back to, again, what I call the, the context or in this case, I mean, you could say sort of the culture, right? That once it's like, oh, we're just uh, doing some budgets, you know, then as long once you open the door to it, it, it's all over the place. And I mean, one of the other interesting observations of this kind of thing playing out is uh, something around like, I think it's called like the contingency buffer or something that the, the, the core units had like a contingency buffer. So like they sort of loaded up on like a buffer and then that buffer is supposed to kind of like, yeah, give them a buffer, right? So, so if something happens, they have some extra money. But, but they sort of loaded up over it, over a budget period. And then I think literally every single core unit, they rolled that over. So that buffer just, so, so at one point, the, the finance core unit, then one day they like did the numbers and they, they were like, oh, there's like 20 million die sitting out there in these buffers that have just been growing and growing and growing, right? Which is exactly like if, I mean, if one, one part is doing it, then, then everyone's going to do it. And, and it's like, yeah, so I mean, as I agree, like that's and this is what I talked about in the very, I mean, what I really keep coming back to that, like it's a slippery slope kind of thing where you have to have this, like, it needs to be completely uh, impervious, right? Which is again what I think why you need to like spell it all out, have really every single thing of like, if this happens, well, then you, you know, if you see this kind of behavior, then, uh, you know, like, uh, like secrecy or, or any kind of like, um, uh, like whatever, right? Like, a, like something that basically is like, in the moment, maybe it could be justified as, oh, we're getting some things done. You know, we had a quick, uh, you know, this is the one I know can do it. They just did it. We didn't go through the open, transparent process. We did it the, the fast way, right? And maybe that makes sense in isolation, but it has this second order ripple effect of suddenly you've opened the door to this kind of stuff, right? So I, think, I totally agree that like you can engineer something that looks like, um, like a fiduciary duty kind of thing, because that's also the big problem it's like in maker today, it's like whenever we see these small sliver slope, uh, you know, little sliding things, like all we can do is like, basically, well, we can fire it. We can be like, Oh, you just, you know, didn't publish some message. So that wasn't transparent. So now you're fired. Right. Not just you. In fact, your whole core unit has to get fired. Right. We can't do anything less than that currently. So, and that's a terrible dynamic. Right. So then, what happens is this opposite behavior where then actually the incentive is for the MPI holders to like close their eyes and look the other way and be like, oh, nothing's going on, right? Everything's fine because it's not like they can shut down a core unit because of some random small thing. And so they'd rather just make everyone else think everything is fine to try to pump the price essentially, right? So you get this very bad negative dynamic that goes against trying to enforce this, this behavior, right? And so with the metadows, right? So the, just to this example you were talking about, right? The whole idea is to have basically, like instead of having like individuals, like humans having the, their political drama interaction with each other and with the MPR holders, so basically have like entire like DAOs do these interactions, right? So, so I mean, so yeah, so like, so there's like different classes, I call them, of the metadows, right? And so there are basically some that do the sort of the actual work and then they're the ones that are called governor DAOs. And so the governor DAOs, they're the ones that, for instance, like run the councils and run the core units. And then the idea is that the, DAO, the, the meta DAO is the one responsible for kind of like adhering to the, the best, like the constitution, essentially. And then, so, and then everyone who works in some, a core unit or council or whatever for a particular meta DAO, they get a bunch of tokens for that meta DAO. So they don't get MPR, right? They get the metadata token, which is then sort of indirect exposure to MPR, but also exposure to the metadata itself. And then if there is 
kind of um like if something goes wrong, there's a best practice didn't wasn't followed, or even there was maybe corruption or something ridiculous. Like I mean, but but it could even be something like some kind of like small thing of like going down the slippery slope. Then maker can basically uh, put penalties on the on these governor DAOs, right? So so suddenly the dynamic is flipped, where it's like super easy for maker to be like, oh, we don't. It's you know, is it like well, here's a problem, right? Let's find any kind of tiny flaw and let's go for that and be like smack a penalty on you. So the government, so so suddenly it's like the dynamics flipped. It's really easy for maker to to find reasons to basically say something's wrong, and then suddenly the the core units, the councils, the metadata, like the, their main concern is always how do we like absolutely do it one trillion percent by the book, because like that's the that's the starting point for doing anything is to really just like adhering to the constitution basically, and that brings us back to this kind of like really solidifying. Um, this stuff, right? And then you have. So, Rune, let me let me let me let me pause you there. It, it seems like the the crux of what you guys are describing, and I want to I want to wrap up on this. Uh, it seems that the crux of what you're describing is how do you do management in a DAO? You know, for a lot of very early DAOs, you didn't really need management. It, it's kind of a, a trope that in startups you don't really need management when you have like seven people because everyone kind of knows what to do. Everyone everyone kind of feels like they're part of the same team. But as organizations grow, they become more complex. They require more hierarchy, more structure, more different kinds of affordances that we don't really have a handbook. We don't really have like a, you know, when, when Andy Grove from Intel wrote High Up Output Management, that was like one of the Bibles of how you manage large organizations. And we don't have any concept like that for DAOs. And one of the largest and most complex, and, and as you pointed out, Rune, one of the most bureaucratic DAOs today is MakerDAO. And we're seeing, I, I feel like what we're seeing play out between the two of you is this fight over the soul of how do you evolve a bureaucracy to prevent the bureaucracy from becoming um, stale in different ways. And I think each of you has a different kind of fear about what can go wrong in a large, complex bureaucratic organization. But it, it's pretty clear that the answer is not that the complexity goes away because MakerDAO has irreducible complexity. If we all agree that MakerDAO needs real-world assets, if we all agree that it needs to continue underwriting new collateral, if we all agree that there are all these complicated questions that need to get adjudicated by experts within MakerDAO, that this is a really hard problem and there's no simple solution to it. That being said, I want to give each of you kind of uh, as a very kind of uh, a cute last word. Um, I want to have each of you give one sentence of what you think was the best counter-argument by the other person toward your side. So Rune, I'd like you very briefly to start. What do you think is the best counter argument that Hasu has made towards you in one sentence? Uh, I mean, it's obviously that um, complexity is very expensive. I mean, so what you just said, Hasib, of like, it has to be complex. I don't necessarily agree with it. So I was, and I'm sort of getting in on that early on that I, I think that there is a possibility that we have to just cut back our ambitions for, for how how much stuff is going to be going on in Maker. And, and and I believe that it's like, either you do, you know, a massive workforce, you do good the whole way, and you actually make the, the, like what we were just talking about, this thing about decentralized fiduciary duty and all this stuff. And if you can't do that, I don't think you can go halfway. Like, and, and that's what I would basically, yeah, I mean, but no, but, but the point is going the whole way, that's very, very complex. And, and it may not be possible, but uh, I mean, I think it is, and I hope it is. And I think it's worth it to like really 
Okay. Hasan, what would you say was Rune's best counter argument toward your position? I'm very bad at thinking on the spot. So maybe I think of something better um, later, but um, I mean, I really like the emphasis that, that Rune's proposal puts on, you know, creating strong checks and balances for the workforce. Okay. Well, look, obviously this is a, this is an evolving conversation and it's one that's not ending anytime soon. So we look forward to uh, having this conversation continue in the maker governance forums. So for those of you who are listening, if you haven't already, you should go Google the maker governance forums. It's where all the most important conversations on maker governance are happening today. Um, thank you both of you for coming on and being good sports and engaging with each other's arguments. I learned a ton and uh, I, I imagine our audience did too. Thanks guys. Hey.